0: Good evening. Uh, we are reading Joshua chapter 9 this evening, and it's on page 223, if you want to follow along. So Joshua 9, um, starting at verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, When the people of Gibeon heard what what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and they said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us, how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wine skins that we, we, that we filled were new, but now see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath Jirim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered, Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your good hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites and did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day.
1: uh, Keep that passage open in front of you. Let me tell you about about what happened to me on uh, Thursday. Um, I I was over in uh, Burgess Hill, uh, a town just north of here. And um, as I was thinking about heading home for lunch, I I thought I'd see what the best way for me to walk from Burgess Hill uh, to Hurstwood Point, which is where I I live, um, what the best way for me to walk would be. Uh, And Google Maps came up with this uh route. It probably means nothing to you. Uh, don't worry about it. Um, now following Google Maps was clearly the best thing for me to do because I did not know where that was going to lead me at all. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to try it. Um, and it led me over various fields and things. And then at one point I thought I knew exactly where I was. And so I stopped following the the Google Maps. Um, and uh, I also <laughs> didn't follow the public footpath signs. Um, and I ended up trying to get my way through that. Um, and that wasn't even the, the worst part of it. Um, it was an interesting journey home, through overgrown th- and thorny paths, uh, in an attempt to get back onto the right path, the, the way Google told me to go in the first place. It's an example of me dangerously thinking I know where to go, <laughs> and Google doesn't. And here in this passage, in Joshua, uh, Joshua and the leaders of Israel, uh, well, they think they know what to do as well. Uh, They think they know better themselves than than turning to the Lord for help. Uh, They dangerously rely on themselves. That's what uh, verse 14 says. Uh, The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the lords the Israelites did not inquire of their lords they dangerously relied on themselves rather than on the lords and it got them into a mess and so on that note i think we need to to pray and ask for his help as we look at this passage together so let's do that let's pray father god we pray that you would help us as we look at Joshua chapter 9. Uh, we pray that you would teach us uh, and that you would change us to be more like the Lord Jesus. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how did the Israelites get into this mess? Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting uh Tale um, in Joshua nine. It's one of clever trickery and deception. Uh, I've enjoyed um, getting to know this story well over this last week, Uh, and it kind of begins the the context of it in verses one and two. A kind of coalition of cities um, of the Canaanites forms. Uh, You see, they've seen the destruction that the Israelites had done to, to Jericho and Ai. Uh, And uh, they thought, well, these Israelites really are a threat to us. So they thought we'll be stronger together, a bit like, I guess, NATO, lots of leaders of countries coming together to defend themselves. Uh, That's what's going on at the beginning of our chapter. But then we get to verse 3, and we read, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, They resorted to a ruse. Uh, Gibeon is uh, another city. Um, But instead of forming an alliance and going off to to, um, be prepared to fight the Israelites, they decide that they would uh, do something else. They had another plan. It was a cunning trick to get in on the inside. It seems to be safe to be part of the Israelites, uh, so we'll try and sneak ourselves in um, so that they can be safe. Uh, But there's a problem. Uh, God's word prevents them from doing this. Uh, This is a command to the Israelites, And it included the city of Gibeon. It says, make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. And the people of Gibeon probably knew about this, and so they knew the only way for them to be safe is, is if they convinced Israel that they were a city from a land far, far away. Because Gibeon's quite local; it's only about twenty miles away um, from them. It's roughly the distance between here and Crawley, which, according to Google Maps, you can walk in eight hours. So the trick that the people from Gibeon had was to to convince them that they had walked a lot longer than eight hours. And so they come together with this very clever plan. Uh, They get together um, old sacks, cracked wineskins. They get their sandals and make them look patched and, and worn. I don't know if you can see you can you can see things on the slide. That's fine. Um, uh, sandals that look patched and worn, and they had uh, food with them. But their food wasn't just like fresh bread, freshly made. No, because they've been on a long journey from a distant country, and so it was mouldy bread. They were carrying around mouldy bread. They did did anything they can. To go to any lengths that they can, even the lengths of carrying around moldy bread with them to convince Joshua and the Israelites that they really have come from a land far, far away. And so they get up to Joshua and they tell him that exact thing in verse six. They will. Uh, that's chapter eight. Um, Verse 6, then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Look at our sandals. Look at our cracked sacks and wineskins. Look at our moldy bread. We've come from a distant country. But the Lord's people, they're, they're very good uh, at first. They, they question uh, the, the Gibeonites uh, and they say, uh, who, who are you? Where do you come from? Are you really from a land far, far away? Verse nine, they respond saying, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we've heard reports about him, all that he did at Egypt. They're very clever in what they say to the Israelites. They tell them what they think they want to hear. We've heard about the Lord your God, and we've heard about what happened in Egypt. But they don't mention the recent events of the last few chapters in Jericho and Ai, because they've been on a very long journey, and news doesn't travel quickly when there's no mobile phones. They're very clever in their trickery. And they tell them in verse 12 that they are servants. (laughs) They're servants. We're here to serve you. Look at all this moldy bread we've got. Of course we've come from a far country. Of course we want to come and serve you guys. It's a clever deception. It reminds me a little bit of the tale of Little Red Riding Hoods. Um, she, she goes off with her basket of stuff for grandma and she bumps into the big bad wolf. Uh, and uh, the big bad wolf finds out that he, he's going off, that she's going off to grandma's house. And, and so he sneaks off there first and gets rid of grandma and uh, dresses up like grandma and lays in her bed. And Little Red Riding Hood enters the room and says, grandma, what big arms you have. All the better to hug you with, my dear. Uh, grandma, what big ears you have. All the better to hear you with. Uh, grandma, what big eyes you have. All the better to see you with. Grandma, what big teeth you have. All the better to eat you up with. that That's a deception. The wolf deceiving the poor little red riding hood to get what he wants. And here, the people of Gibeon, they they 've planned this deception to keep themselves safe from destruction that 's the deception that 's going on here. You might be thinking, well, actually, maybe you 're being a bit harsh to that. The, they seem to have some faith here. They, they mentioned the the law. They do, but they're trying to deceive them out of fear, not out of faith. Verse 24, so we feared for our lives because of you, and that's why we did this. They're trying to save their own skins. Instead of fighting, get on the inside, make a peace treaty with them, and then it'll be okay. For Joshua uh, and the other leaders of God's people, they thought they knew what they were doing. They didn't think they were being deceived at all. They did question them uh, in verse 8, but, but then they see the moldy bread. They think they can see the way ahead. They think they're making a sensible decision and, and entering this treaty with them. But that's the mistake that they made. It's clear there in verse 14. They just like sampled their provisions. They, they sampled the moldy bread. They checked it was moldy. But they did not inquire of the Lord. That's where they went wrong. They dangerously relied on themselves rather than in the Lord and it got them into a mess. It got them into this treaty peace treaty that the Lord God had told them not to enter into. And so we see the danger of self-reliance. They think they don't need the Lord's help in this at all. They dangerously relied on themselves rather than on the Lord and it caught them into this mess. We sometimes pray this in our our times of confession at, at church. We sometimes pray we have left undone those things that we ought to have done. And sometimes those things that we ought to have done is turn to the Lord rather than trust in ourselves, rather than rely on ourselves and think we know what the best way is. So where do we dangerously trust ourselves rather than in our gods? Where do we think we can see the way ahead? <laughs> where we think we're okay on our own. <laughs> it's important to consider that because that's when it can become dangerous. That's where we can make mistakes. That's, that's where we could be led into sin. <laughs> When we think we're okay on our own, but we forget God, we may fall. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the Corinthians, warns them of this. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Don't rely on self as a church earlier in the year, we prayed a lot for a new vicar, for God to provide, a, provide us with a great new vicar. And it seems like he's answered that prayer in Nick Tucker. It's really exciting. But the danger we might have is thinking, oh, it's sorted now. Let, let's put up our feet. We'll, we'll be okay until the new guy rocks up. The, the staff, they, they can pray in their prayer meetings. But but we're okay, we don't need to turn to the Lord. But it's dangerous to rely on ourselves. It can lead to messy consequences. So we, we need to, to keep praying together. We need to keep turning to the Lord and asking for his help. It, it was great this morning to have Rory Graham come back and, and preach to us. And, and he was saying more or less the exact thing. And I ha- didn't plan that, but God has <laughs> We've got to pray. Don't rely on yourselves. Pray. Uh, more personally, what about on kind of Monday mornings? We, we've been to church the day before, the night before, just a few hours earlier. We've been fired up to live for God. We've gone out and thought, yes, this is going to be a great week. I'm going to be wonderfully holy this week. Um, yes. And then the alarm goes off and we put it on snooze and we eventually roll out of bed. We realize the bins need going out and and we barely have time for any breakfast at all. The thought crosses our minds, maybe we should pray. But soon that thought is gone. Uh, And we don't. And yet it's dangerous to rely on ourselves. need to pray. Even if it's just a a, a minute or so praying, Lord, help me today. You know, I haven't got much time before I need to go out, but help me today. Help me to honor you. Help me in all the things that I will face today. Give me great wisdom. Was thinking about this for, for myself over the last few days. Uh, coming to preach here this evening, uh, preach many times at, at BH now, and uh, the temptation is: I don't, don't need to pray, don't, don't need to rely on God as much now. I've kind of got this, but but no, it's a work of God. I need His help. I need to depend on Him for His help. And so do all of us as we we come along to church. We need to pray for ourselves that God would be at work changing us. That God would be at work in the preacher. That God would be work in all of us. They did not inquire of the Lord. And that was their mistake. They dangerously trusted in themselves rather than on the Lord. And it got them into a mess but we see God's mercy in their failings. Uh, Last summer, um, I had a go at building IKEA furniture for the first time, and I thought this was going to be really easy. Um, I I bought some chest of drawers, which should look like that. Um, I bought them. I watched a video of a guy making them up, and I thought, well, he can do it. I can do it. An hour later, I, I had hardly got anywhere near that. Uh, a few hours later, I ended up with something uh, that looks like this, although a few bits have fallen off since. Um, every day, I walk past that, and I, I'm I'm not going to keep that up too long. Um, I'm visually reminded of my own self-dependence and the mess that it led me into. I had offers of help, but I thought, no, it's Ikea furniture, it's easy. Turns out it's not. Well, if you're me, it's not anyway. For Joshua and the Israelites, they now realize they're stuck in a treaty, a peace treaty. An agreement that they they can't really get out of. Verse 18. The Israelites did not attack them, the Gibeonites, because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath to the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. Uh, they had made the mistake in making this treaty with them, but but now they had to honor that. They, they had to honor the word that they had spoken, the oath. As one commentator put it, that they've got to live as faithfully before God as they could in their twisted situation. And that means... Obeying the word of God. Living uh, as faithfully for him as they can. Uh, uh, Another uh, verses in in Deuteronomy um, says this. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept it and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. It it appears from looking through God's words, God's commands to the Israelites that there were ways around having foreigners in. Rather than attacking them and destroying them, they could come and be part of the Lord's people, part of the covenant community. Uh, And so, uh, the Israelites, they they made the Gibeonites uh, woodcutters and water carriers. The Gibeonites were worshippers of other gods, and they could have led the Israelites astray into false worship. uh, But instead, they become part of the covenant community. Uh, The the idol worshippers, they they get to to serve the worshippers of the true and living God. They get to see up close and personal uh, God's people and God at work in them. And so in this, we see God's mercy on his people. Uh, God's people had failed, but now they need to live as faithfully before God as they could. And we see God's mercy on these people because... The Israelites, Joshua, they're they're not the heroes of this story at all. It's God. God didn't choose to completely destroy them or punish them in some way. No, he's still committed to them. And he's still committed to the promises that he's made to his people. As it says later in Joshua, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. God was being merciful to his people. God had given them uh, his words that they could live by. And they could faithfully follow him. And that may be the same for us in our Christian experience too. Uh, There's been sin and maybe we still see the consequence of that sin uh, around us. But rather than dangerously relying on ourselves some more to sort that mess out. Because sin shows we can't. Instead, we remember that by God's grace, we stand. And so we work out how we faithfully live for God, even in a twisted situation. Because we confess our sins. And uh, as Jacob reminded us, he, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. We're not the heroes who save ourselves. God is the hero who is merciful to us. And he helps us to live faithfully for him. We also see in this chapter God's mercy on the Gibeonites. God's mercy on the Gibeonites. See, they were a people far off. They were people who who worshipped other gods, who who did not worship the true and living gods. And they deserved judgment, and it was sure and certain judgment, but somehow through their lies and deception, they got into being part of God's people, serving God and his people. There's no way that they earned that at all. But in God's sovereignty, it happened. It wasn't a failure for God's plans that these people got to come in, that this peace treaty was made. God's plans don't fail. But they are brought into this covenant community completely by grace. And even Nehemiah, records the Gibeonites being part of the rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem after the exile in Babylon. They still play a key role in God's people later in the Old Testament. The idol worshippers serve the worshippers of the true and living God. They got to be part of God's people. You know what, in the history of humanity there was another deception. It happened in the Garden garden of Eden. Uh, Satan said to Eve, did God really say to you that you must not eat any fruit from the garden? And Adam and Eve, they, they saw that fruit and they ate. The Israelites here saw the moldy bread and they made that treaty. And Adam and Eve, they were punished, they were banished from the garden from the presence of God. But that wasn't the story. It was just the beginning of God's salvation plan. For Jesus went to the cross. So that now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And maybe you're here this evening and you wonder how... Could God let me in? You don't know the wrong that I've done. You don't know the sins that I've committed. And yet, to be saved, no, there's no lies or deception required to get into God's kingdom. Because he knows. He knows that you're a sinner. He knows our sin more than we do. But he's graciously taken that judgment for our sin on himself. And so he says come. Come as you are a sinner. Who needs the grace of God. Come near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't dangerously rely on yourself. You can't save yourself. Come to the cross. And find mercy. And grace. Let's pray. You sometimes sing these words. Prone to wonder Lord I feel it. Prone to leave. The God I love. Father we are prone to wander away from you. We are prone to leave you. The God we love and forget you. And as we've seen in this chapter, that's when we're likely to fail. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to look to you in all things. To seek you for wisdom that we might live as faithfully as we can. But we thank you too for the Lord Jesus and the incredible mercy and grace that he offers. Thank you that we can run to you. And find the forgiveness that we need at the cross. We praise you, the God of mercy and grace this evening. Amen.